A few years ago, the Barna Group, a market research firm specializing in religious beliefs, conducted a survey in which it emerged that more Americans believe in Satan than believe in God. On a superficial level, the results seem counterintuitive. In a nominally Christian society, God and Satan seem to go hand in hand. But it's important to remember that the Satan figure of the Bible also appears in Islam and Judaism, and that demons, whether real or imagined, predate the Abrahamic religions and can be found in ancient cultures around the world. But whatever his origins, Satan and his demons have inspired countless movies and TV shows, and there are numerous instances of people arguing that these demons can and do possess people even today. In this episode, I speak with four people, an academic, a Vatican exorcist, a fundamentalist Christian, and a man who believes demons can be tackled through science rather than religion. I began my investigation by talking to Lubo, an academic from Croatia. He's written a thesis on exorcism and studied the work of Ivy League educated and renowned New York psychiatrist Richard Gallagher who not only believes in demonic possession, but has used MRIs to attempt to differentiate brain activity in the possessed versus the mentally ill. But Lubo's own research, which also attempts to view things from a scientific rather than a spiritual perspective, began with a disturbing experience in Croatia. In Croatia, there are a couple of the places uh, where you can go and pray. That was happened when I was maybe 14, 15. I was in secondary school and one of my priests offered me to go with him. I thought it would be the normal thing, nothing special. And really, during the day, it was uh, everything was normal, like a praying, uh, go to the confession, confess your sins, some mindful trainings and stuff like that. Then during the night, it happened. And a lot of strange things. For example, after the prayer, it was maybe 30, 40 people in a row. One person just he started to speak in some language what I never heard. I suppose it was an ancient Hebrew language. And he started to make some strange noises and the body was shaking like some bad, bad thing happened, you know. In that moment, maybe three or four priests just arrived to the place. They started to pray above him. The guy started to laugh. Maybe in this moment when I'm speaking about it, it seems like, I don't know, like a ceremony or acting or stuff like that. But trust me, it wasn't acting. It was really real. It was real. I was terrified. I'll be honest with you. I was a 15-year-old boy. First time that I saw something like that, I was terrified. And that was the first thing when I said to myself, I really want to explore what's going on. In Croatia, we, we called it putting hands on a man and you're getting like the Holy Spirit. After that situation, I was afraid, you know, I mean, who, who wouldn't be? And I didn't want it to go. Then the priest who bring me to that place, he told me these things are happening just the people who, who have uh, problems with the sins and stuff like that. OK, he pursued me. I do that. I just fell down after that prayer. It's very hard to explain. It's almost not possible to explain. It was like cold wind just blew to my face. My, my eyes just went cl closed and I fell down. There was people who, who, who catch you. In that moment, you're just feeling so good that you don't want to wake up. After two, three days, 
when I was confessing my sins, I was asking the priest, why the guy, why something like that happened to him and not the same thing happened to me. He told me that for each person, everything is happening differently. After that, I went to the, the same thing a couple of the times and it was for me, it was really okay. I, I didn't even fall down. I really can't explain you what happened to that man and what happened to me. During our discussion, Lubo lamented the fact that the Vatican tends to keep exorcisms under wraps. And it's not an area of the religion that the Catholic Church is wishing to draw attention to. But in the United States, Father Vincent Lampert, a Catholic priest and Vatican-ordained exorcist, has bucked tradition and is one individual who is prepared to speak openly on the topic. Lubo was convinced the man he saw was seemingly possessed and wasn't acting. But what if there's a medical explanation for these types of cases? It was a question I put to Father Lampert. How do you make a determination that somebody is possessed versus schizophrenic or under some kind of drug-induced predicament or something like that? So all the priests in the United States that are involved in this ministry follow a very strict protocol. Number one of that protocol would be to have a psychiatric evaluation by a qualified psychologist or psychiatrist. Step two would be for the person to have a physical examination by their medical doctor. So the church does ask experts in the mental health field and in the medical field to weigh in on a question of whether or not somebody is truly dealing with the demonic, because ultimately the person needs to be directed to the true help they need. They may think perhaps that it's something spiritual in nature, but if it's a mental health issue, then they have to be directed that way as well. Ultimately, as an exorcist, I will make the final determination if I truly believe it's demonic. But because I need to believe beyond a doubt that the person in front of me is truly dealing with extraordinary demonic activity, I will rely on the input of these experts to help me reach the point where I can say, yes, beyond a doubt, this is something of a demonic nature. What percentage of people that claim or other people claim a certain individual is possessed what percentage would you say you seriously explore one out of every five thousand people that i talk to on average is a case of demonic possession possession is extremely rare now the Mm -hmm. catholic church does say there are three other types of extraordinary demonic activity so demonic possession but there could be demonic infestation the presence of evil in a location or associated with an object. There can be demonic vexation. Somebody is receiving physical attacks and then demonic obsession, which are mental attacks. Vexation, obsession, infestation. There are thousands of those that I deal with every year. So the actual possessions then, in a typical year, we're talking about a very small number. Probably uh, maybe one or two a year that I deal with directly. Now there are, when I was appointed 17 years ago, I became one of only 12 Catholic priests in the United States who deal with this. Now there are 150. So the numbers have grown dramatically. The numbers that other priests are dealing with could be on the rise as well. But those priests who are publicly known Mm -hmm. do receive a higher volume of callers than perhaps those who remain anonymous. 
Living in Kansas, it's difficult to have any lengthy discussion of God and Satan without somehow making reference to the Westboro Baptist Church. The small family-founded outfit have gained notoriety for their extreme views on a range of issues, including homosexuality, war, divorce, and most recently, COVID-19. With so much of their focus on hellfire and damnation, I was curious to hear their views on possession. But first of all, the concept of Satan. To that end, I spoke with their spokesperson, Shirley Phelps Roper. In the Bible, there's lots of allusions or references to like the devil, the serpent, the beast. For someone who doesn't really have a clear idea outside of a Hollywood movie, what or who Satan is? How would you describe him? He's the um, prince of the power of the air. He's a usurper. He wants to have the position of the Lord Jesus Christ. If every human doesn't get this square, he doesn't give a rat's backside about any humans. In fact, he despises humans. Humans are the ones, the only ones, not him, not the fallen angels. There is no redeemer for them. But there is a redeemer for the elect remnant, and it's infuriating to him. And he doesn't care if you're on his side. He doesn't care about that. He'll lure you in, use you, mock God. He wants desperately to get one of the sheep, but he will never get one of the sheep. It's impossible. He says, no one, the Lord Jesus Christ said, can pluck them out of my father's hand. No one can pluck them. So that means Satan can't get any of the sheep. But he's also presents as a a beautiful creature. He deceived Eve, but his lie in the Garden of Eden that God is a liar. You can sin and you won't die. You can disobey and you won't die. You won't go to hell. God lied. That's the same lie that he continues to this day. You can live very devil himself and God loves you anyway. And he's got all of his minions running around calling themselves preachers, telling you God loves everyone. The prophet Ezekiel says, you have caused the heart of my people to be sad, which I have not made sad because you have caused the wicked that they will not turn from their way. And you do that by promising them life. At this point, I lost the connection with Shirley. There's manifold reasons why a technical issue should arise. But bizarrely, during the process of working on this podcast, I had a plethora of issues. One Protestant exorcist from Texas, who I was due to interview, had to be dropped, as despite multiple attempts to talk via various mediums, a wide spectrum of issues cut our conversation short. I also had technical difficulties with recordings involving Kenneth, who you will hear from later, when he tried to demonstrate some aspects of his exorcism. And let's just say, the editing process was even more problematic. Now, I'm not suggesting these issues were the result of some malevolent presence, but the exorcists from Texas did. And many, both religious and lay researchers, have claimed that demonic activity can cause disruption to electrical components. I'm just sharing this information as part of a full disclosure, as it's the reason this episode has been delayed more than once. Personally, I blame the technology. You can make up your own mind. 
but eventually I was able to reconnect with Shirley. Sorry. That's all right. Yeah, maybe it was the um the, <laughs> the power of the air. <laughs> it's, it means something for him to be the prince of the power of the air. He's disrupted, <laughs> he's deceitful, and he doesn't care about humans. Belief in Satan, and by extension his demons, is one thing. But on a practical level, how does one come to be possessed? It's a question I put to Father Lampert. How typically are people becoming possessed? Is it something they have brought onto themselves somehow through doing Ouija boards or something like that? Or is there an element of just chance and bad luck involved? I would say that uh, usually people have done something to open a doorway to the demonic into their life, either directly, meaning they did something they knew that was contrary to faith, but they did it anyway, kind of putting their spiritual defenses down, if you will, indirectly when they're doing something that they may believe is fun or entertaining, such as playing with a Ouija board, but may not fully grasp maybe the consequences of what they're doing. That protocol that I mentioned earlier to see the psychiatrist then the medical doctor. Step three of the, pro- of the protocol would be to do an intake questionnaire to determine if this is demonic, what was the entry point? So did somebody dabble in the occult? Was it due to a fascination with the entertainment industry and the focus on the demonic? You know, was it the fact that somebody was cursed? But the average person, if, if you're faith-filled, Like if you're a Christian, you're going to church, you're praying, you're reading the Bible. Mm -hmm. I like to say the devil's already on the run. We don't Mm -hmm. have to do anything extraordinary to defeat demonic attacks. It's the very ordinary aspects of our faith. When they aren't actively possessing someone or tormenting someone, are they just constantly on the lookout for people to target? Or is it a matter of them, you know, being in hell and somehow escaping or getting drawn here? I mean, what, what's their normal state when they're not actively attacking somebody? So demons as fallen angels have an intellect and a will. So being intellect, having, you know, they have no body, so they would spend their time thinking. So they would always be thinking because the notion is that when God created the angelic world, they received infused knowledge. They don't have to learn anything it's kind of like a computer downloaded with information. So mm-hmm. they're in the presence of all that they could know. So demons would spend time thinking. And then when they would, again, contemplate the rejection of God, and then to know that humanity still has the capacity for that which they have rejected, namely to be united with God, then they would start their attacks on humans. And the goal would be to get us to make the same choice that they have made to reject God. It's said that people who are possessed can speak different languages that they're not familiar with. Have you encountered situations like that? Absolutely. And usually when demons will speak, it's a human language, maybe one that's no longer in use, such Mm -hmm. as ancient Greek, Aramaic, Latin. We may have some minor usage of that, but it's not spoken today. And oftentimes these languages will go back and they predate Christianity. So maybe at a time when the demonic had the upper hand, so to speak, 
so they would prefer to use languages at a time when they mm -hmm. felt like they were in charge. And so when they speak in ancient Aramaic or what have you, is this like a full conversation or is it just statements and snippets? You hit it right on it. it it's really like in snippets trying to show off because demons would want the exorcist to feel inadequate, incompetent. Demons mm -hmm. would even be infuriated that a human whom they consider to be inferior to themselves is even daring to give them commands. So they would want to try to show off like, well, look at my knowledge, my intellect, my expertise. Compared to me, the demon would be saying, you're nothing. And what about another aspect then that is sometimes reported, the levitation? Have you had experiences with that phenomenon? Yes. Demons can play on a person's memory and imagination. So all of these manifestations, whether it's levitation, sometimes you'll hear people say that when the demon manifested, the person's body crawled up a wall like a spider. Like you hear these stories all the time. Now, the bigger question would be, are these things actually happening or is the demon causing the person to think that that's exactly what they're seeing? Again, because the demon can play on a person's memory and imagination. So I did witness someone, a body levitate when the demon was manifesting. But then again, I would have to say, is the devil trying to play tricks on my mind as a way of saying, look at me and look at what I'm capable of doing. So the exorcist is really trained really not to focus on these manifestations. You see Hollywood movies. Everybody's uh -huh. always fascinated by the theatrics of the devil. But that really is a way for the devil to say, look at me and what I'm capable of doing, rather than in an exorcism, the priest is saying, look at God and what God is capable of doing. Prior to talking to Father Lampert, I must admit, I've always been skeptical of reports detailing physical phenomena that occur during exorcisms. Aside from the Victorian era parlor tricks that led to a belief in ectoplasm and other falsehoods, I've watched enough ghost hunter shows where people use so-called ghost boxes to listen to white noise and they claim they can hear distinct voices and words. I've never heard anything produced by Zach Baggins or anyone else that sounded to me like a distinctive voice. And in fact, there's a word for this. Paradoia is a phenomenon of hearing what you want to hear or put another way, your brain attempting to find patterns in sound that don't actually exist. Now a skeptic could argue the same effect is at work when exorcists claim to hear ancient Aramaic or Babylonian. But on the other side of the coin, reports of people climbing up walls or levitation would be difficult, if not impossible, to fake. But to my mind, based on the laws of physics and the effect of gravity, if nothing else, I can't see how someone possessed or not could physically perform these acts within the confines of a human body. Therefore, Father Lampert's suggestion that the demon playing on your mind could create a mass hallucination seems far more reasonable to me. And if we entertain the idea that a demon can affect your mind, it's not much of a stretch to think the entity could also affect your vocabulary. With this in mind, I asked Father Lampert if he'd ever participated in a particularly harrowing exorcism. 
Yeah, one of the very first ones I did. So I trained in Rome back in 2006. So the church says the best way to learn to be an exorcist is through the apprenticeship model. So I found a priest in Rome who allowed me to shadow him, if you will, for three months. I set in on 40 exorcisms that he performed. That allowed me to learn firsthand the church's ministry to those who are up against the forces of evil. One of the first exorcisms I did in the United States was someone who was possessed by seven demons. So there were seven different demons that named themselves. And the demon of a higher ranking told me its name was Leviathan. It's the demon mentioned in the book of Psalms in the Old Testament, the great sea monster. And this demon said it did not have to leave because it had been invited in. And since it had been invited in, it was saying this person made a, you know, a pact with me, if you will. Therefore, I have the right to stay. But we might say that in an exorcism, a demon is commanded to return that which it has stolen, namely a person created in the image and likeness of God. Now we can turn our backs on God, we can commit sin, which could allow the devil to enter into our lives, but we all also have the capacity to repent, to turn back to God. Now the devil would have us believe, no, once you make the choice for me, it's one and done. So working with this lady possessed by seven demons, Six of them were quickly expelled, but it took a year before Leviathan was cast out. Mm-hmm. And again, sometimes during that, you know, the, the demons would threaten to harm or kill the person they were possessing and that type of thing. So that can be a bit unnerving when demons speak. One time during the exorcism, the demon caused the person to jump up out of the chair and run down the hallway to try to get away. Really? I've had the demons, they, they bartered with me, please stop praying. You know, you know, if you stop praying, then, you know, I'll do this or that, but it's always important not to pay attention because demons are all liars. I'd read another exorcist said that sometimes they will try to trick the demon or see if it has a demon by having regular tap water versus Mm. holy water and things of that nature. Have you had experiences with that where somebody you didn't think was demonic somehow reacted and suggested that they possibly were because of the sacred objects? Yes. So again, that goes back to moral certitude. So I can rely on the psychiatrist, the medical doctor, but I also need to do some of my own evaluations. So you mentioned tap water. If I bless someone, I know whether or not the water has been blessed. The demon will have a negative reaction to something that's holy, but that person as an individual. So based on the reaction to that water will allow me to know, am I dealing with a demon or am I dealing with this person? You know, it could be, it's not that the person is doing it deliberately. Maybe they do have a mental health condition that's causing them to try to put on a you know, a ruse. So again, I need to really test. And that is one of the things that an exorcist may do. Some people might say, well, why would the demon react to the holy water if it prefers to remain hidden? The reality is the demon does want to remain hidden, but because he's so prideful that literally he can't resist something of a sacred nature that he would have a strong and violent reaction to it. So even though he may have the desire not to react, he's compelled to do so. 
And everything the church does in an exorcism is meant to force the demon to show itself. Because once it shows itself, it manifests, then the battle against it will begin. So basically, the demons don't want anyone to know they're possessing someone. They just want to kind of disrupt, ruin that person's life and relationships, I guess. And and the demon would be okay in revealing itself to other people that surround this individual mm-hmm. if the demon believes that it can pull those people into its world of lies and deceit as well. But the demons would not want to show themselves to people who are living godly lives because then a battle will begin against it. So demons, if they can draw more people into the deception, they're happy to do that. But if they believe they're in a situation where they will be drawn out into the open Mm -hmm. and then risk being cast out through an exorcism, they will try to hide and lay low, if you will, from those situations. So it's almost like a spy, like a spy in America might go around to recruit other potential spies, but try and stay undercover from the FBI, I guess. So <laughs> Yes, it's a good way to put it. Yes. Probably the most surprising thing to me in talking to Father Lampert is the lengths he goes to in attempting to prove that people are not possessed. From sending people to see psychologists, psychiatrists and physicians, to using fake holy water to separate the wheat from the chaff, or I suppose in this instance, vice versa. Essentially, it seems that the exorcist is a skeptic, almost like a defense attorney, trying to produce reasonable doubt that someone is possessed. On a human level, while obviously he has other duties as a priest, One might expect that the human instinct would be to justify your role by finding demonic menace in every shadow. But he doesn't. He does just the opposite. And whether you share his beliefs or not, my sense is that he genuinely believes what he's doing and he takes his job extremely seriously. With that having been said, one thing he said earlier slightly disturbed me. He talked about people unwittingly inviting demons into their lives by paying attention to the topic through watching movies or going to haunted places. The pastor from Texas I mentioned earlier warned me that in his view, I was opening up myself to risk simply by producing this podcast. In fact, one of my friends insisted on providing me with some holy water from Lourdes and a rosary beforehand as she feared I was playing with fire. To that point... I wondered about the possessed locations he referred to earlier. And are these places truly attracting evil? Or do urban legends draw people to them, which in itself self-perpetuates the legend by then attracting real demons? It's usually because of what somebody is doing or has done. Maybe somebody is engaging in like ghost hunting. So their activities are drawing the attentions of the demons. Maybe horrific crime was committed there. You know, St. Thomas Aquinas would say that demons, as pure spirits, literally are neither here nor there. They lack a body. We say they are here or there if they're choosing to act in a location. So when it comes to demonic infestation, we should be asking the question, why are the demons choosing to act in that location? So demons don't live at an address. 
they don't live in the abandoned hospital or prison. Mm-hmm. Maybe horrific crime was committed there, or it's all the people that are going there, like on these ghost tours, that are attracting the attentions of the demons to manifest. And ultimately, when it comes to infestation, the demons want to escalate. So they want to move from infestation to the vexation, physically attacking, or the obsession, mentally attacking, and getting to the point of possession. So there's kind of a degradation. It may begin with infestation, but they want to take it to the highest possible level, if you will, which would be Mm -hmm. possession. So in a sense, then, people who say, oh, I think this old prison is haunted, is kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, because if people keep going, they're looking for ghosts, then the demons are going to show up and manifest in a way that seems to back up the theory to begin with, even if possibly nothing ever happened there before. Correct. And it could be that initially people go and maybe they find it something positive. Maybe they go there and they their perception is not a demon, but it's a, a ghost or a spirit of somebody that used to live there or a family member or a friend. So they kind of get pulled into that. Exorcists will tell you that 99.9% of the time when people say they encounter a ghost or a spirit of someone who's died, it's really a demon who's masquerading as that person as a way to pull that person into their world of deception, where then the demon can really begin to cause that person's life to spiral out of control. In part two, I talk to a Jewish man whose own unwelcome supernatural experiences led him to become an exorcist using a blend of traditional remedies and science. We also hear more from Father Lampert and Shirley Phelps Roper and discuss why exorcism, as portrayed in the Bible, seems so much easier in many respects than some of the exorcisms that occur today.